If you are stuck in the grind and don't know how to get moving, if you have lost your dream or struggle to know how to make it happen, if you have been dreaming of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Valued Entrepreneurs podcast will help you transform your life with tools, knowledge, and support that will allow you to create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from the work they do so they can live the life they desire. You deserve it. It is possible. This show features interviews with people who have already created success in their lives and businesses and stories about everyday people living extraordinary lives. It's time for you to add value. Today's guest, Blair Nichols. After beginning his career representing hundreds of authors from top six publishers, Blair Bryant Nichols moved into management of founders, entrepreneurs, executives, authors, and celebrities with various work stream projects and personal interests, acting as chief of staff, manager, or agent. Blair has deep expertise in developing speakers for corporate events, conferences, and other thought leadership opportunities, including internal and external communications. As a manager, coach, and consultant, Blair enjoys helping unique individuals and companies foster new strategies for operations, communications, business development, and partnerships across all appropriate areas to further develop and enhance their bottom line and brand. He is currently the director of the stage agency at Advance Your Reach and co-host of the podcast Inside the Green Room. Blair, thanks for joining me today. I am just so excited to hear your story and share you know, what you're working on and all the things that are happening um, in the world of speaking. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. <clears throat> so I think your, your first start, um, actually, you started in New York. And what kind of work were you doing in New York? Yeah, so I, I got my degree in literature and like all lit majors, people thought, oh, you're going to be a teacher or you're going to go to grad school. What are you thinking? And I was like, no, I don't want to do those things. But I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then I realized publishing uh, sounded like the perfect fit for me. So I started out in New York. I went to the Columbia Publishing course, which is kind of like a summer camp for people who just graduated college and want to get into publishing. Um, and I started out at HarperCollins and their Speakers Bureau. And that was my very first introduction to the entire world of speaking. I didn't even really have much of an awareness. Of course, we had speakers at campus and I'd probably experienced a lot of speakers um, before, but had never really thought about it as a business or an industry. So I started out in the in-house, in, in a publishing house, but specifically in their speakers division. HarperCollins was the first publisher to actually start their own in-house speakers bureau back in like 2005. Uh, so they, it was pretty. It was a pretty new thing at the time, and other publishers were starting to do the same thing. So at, from there, just the the years that I was in New York, I always I was always in kind of the publishing world. So from there, I went to a bigger agency called Greater Talent Network, which is now part of UTA, one of the big talent agencies, and their big uh, lecture speakers bureau, and they had partnerships with both Hachette and Simon and Schuster. So I got to work with both of those publishers um, for that agency running their speakers bureaus as kind of an outsourced contract for them. And our focus obviously was booking their authors and they're really most concerned about selling books. And we were concerned about getting as much of keynote fees as we could. And now I've you know <laughs> discovered a whole other models of speaking and everything, but that's where I started. And it was really interesting to be working with all different types of authors, all different types of, of books and industries and niches and, and see 
kind of the worlds that they fit in. Nice. And then you made a decision to to move to LA and ended up working for just one author, right? <laughs> and working with <laughs> That's right. Rossi. Yeah. So I, you know, throughout my time in, in New York, I, I just kept feeling a little overwhelmed, especially in my second position. I mentioned I was running two bureaus for two different publishing houses. I had a very small team, you know, within the agency. I was kind of like an agency within an agency. And every quarter, you know, every imprint of both publishing houses would have new books, new authors. So that meant new clients, new people to be kind of onboarding and adding to the roster. And it was it was kind of like an, you know, an ongoing thing. And as my client list grew, it didn't mean that, you know, anything else extraordinary was happening. It was just a lot more responsibility. And it felt like we had a lot of clients, you know, that weren't getting the attention that I would like to be giving them. And so as I had gotten to learn a little bit more about the publishing media and entertainment world, I knew that managers were a little bit different than agents. They usually had less clients. They usually got a little bit more hands-on with them in all aspects of their career. And they have a little bit of a different type of relationship. And I was like, you know, that's really what I think I'm suited for. That's what I would really enjoy is like just having a smaller group of people that I worked with that I had a really good relationship with and that I could do different things with beyond even their speaking. Uh, so the idea was, oh, well, I better get an MBA because I am a lit major. And if people are going to give me 10% of anything, you know, ongoing, I should probably, you know, have a little bit more substance to, <laughs> to my knowledge and education. And uh, UCLA had an amazing program in entertainment management that you could specialize in. Uh, there was a program at NYU, but I'd been in New York. I felt like I had, you know, kind of my my network established there, and I really wanted to see what it was like in LA and kind of pursue that. And so while I was waiting on a decision or um, some, you know, some feedback uh, from from UCLA on my initial application, I actually got recruited to come work for Keith Razi. So he was based in LA, it kind of just was a very serendipitous uh, situation that he was looking for someone to manage his speaking. So I moved out to LA, deferred my MBA business school journey until the following year and ended up doing that part time. And I started working with Keith. And that was the first time I got to see how speaking uh, was a business development opportunity. So when I was just working in the bureaus and working with authors, of course, we're trying to get books sold as al along with a keynote fee. And, you know, there's all the transactional things that go on with speaking engagements. Um, and we were certainly getting fees for him to speak. And that was my job, obviously, to negotiate those and any requests we got and to be pitching other potential you know, clients or you know, working with the speakers bureaus to get more bookings. And all of those bookings could become bigger consulting contracts. He was running a change management uh, firm. He'd written a couple best-selling books and you know, was had some, some big clients. But every speaking engagement was really an opportunity to get his foot in the door for a potentially new engagement, something big. So my job was really to be thinking strategically about his schedule and all of the speaking. I evolved into his chief of staff because I was so heavily involved in running his life and schedule and figuring out where he's going to be and who he needs to be spending time with and all of that. And it was really, really interesting to, you know, be on the other side of the business, to be kind of the one receiving <laughs> offers from bureaus and agencies and, and also working with one person that had a a business that was really supported by their speaking and, and kind of how that all worked. As I got towards the end of my MBA, I wanted to try some other things. And so going into my third year, I did an internship at DreamWorks and that was kind of a change management project. It 
I got the internship the day after they announced they were being acquired by NBC. So it was a pretty eventful summer of the whole studio kind of prepping for their new <laughs> corporate corporate uh, owners. And so I did a lot of work that I was doing with Keith, relationship management, research on who some of these executives were so that our uh, production strategy team at DreamWorks could really you know, get off on the right foot uh, with their new partners and see you know, how they can go from there. So by the time my internship was wrapping up as an, an MBA student, the company was beginning that transition and there was layoffs and clearly wasn't going to be a big opportunity for me. And, and I also felt like coming back into a big corporate environment, like I had experienced at HarperCollins at my first job, reminded me that I didn't really love that. I, you know, I loved working at smaller agencies where I could have a bigger impact. I love, you know, being just more hands-on and, and not having these many different layers of hierarchy and matrix of all these different things that are happening. So I started looking for smaller opportunities. And when I finished up my MBA, I went back to a speakers bureau named Big Speak. So I was out here in LA and I, you know, wanted to see like what was going to be my best opportunity coming out of business school. And there's, you know, various things that kind of interested me, but you know, where you're going to be most valuable is always where you have the most expertise. And so I went back into the agency world and started helping them build their exclusive talent list. And I've always been, you know, a champion for diversity and, and wanting to, you know, figure out new emerging voices and bringing those people up in the world and, you know, that you really believe in. And I think, especially as a manager, like that's really how you create relationships. If you work with a client who's already well-established, already is famous and wealthy, then you don't have as much to offer them, <laughs> you know? But when you're part of bringing someone up, you know, that's the type of relationship that I was looking for, very loyal and, and uh, you know, long-term long, long -term type of uh, relationship. So I loved, you know, being part of that and, and adding new people to that team, but, you know, they weren't always the most in-demand speakers right away. Some took more time to develop. And, you know, over time, it just became clear that I wasn't really aligned with everything that was going on at the agency and what, and what they were looking to do. So I said, great, this is the time. I'm going to go out and start my management company. But 10 days after I left Big Speak, I got recruited for Adventure Reach. So they reached out to me and as I was doing the paperwork to get my LLC filing uh, for my management company to get off the ground. So I had something that I uh, you know, could start with. Uh, I, I was also talking to Adventure Reach and I joined that team in December, 2019 because I was so excited about what they were doing and how it was different than kind of what I had been doing for, for the last 12, 13 years of my career. But very similar. So I'll pause there and we can dive into all the AYR stuff, but let you catch up. <laughs> no, that's, that's terrific. I appreciate you sharing. And of course, obviously adventure reach at the end of 2019 becomes a huge change management <laughs> role mm -hmm. immediately, you know, in the spring of 2020. Um, Cause obviously everything shifted. Uh, and I, and I, I think probably for the better for adventure reach in, in many ways. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really unexpected when they first reached out to me and I learned about the business. It, it you know, it didn't really excite me at first because I was like, well, you know, I I don't know. I've I've worked in the speaking world for so long, and and these are the types of events that I never really touched because they weren't the types of corporate events. They were events where people paid to speak or 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 sold on stage and did all these things that was always like very taboo in the paid speaking world, because you, if you're getting paid, you don't, no one wants you to sell on their stage. So it was a, it was kind of a shift, but what really struck me is 
uh, I was talking to Pete, Pete Vargas, our CEO, and he was like, you know, we're launching this agency, you know, for years, our, our customers have been asking, can't you just do this for us? Can't you research stages and reach out on our behalf? And we were pushing people to hire a virtual assistant or, you know, do, do these other things that might be, you know, economical solutions to that if you don't have the time to do it yourself. But he's like, but I, I found this agency that actually does this work acquiring them and we're going to relaunch this, you know, for all of our customers in the beginning of 2020. And I was like, yes, this is a business that is really exciting to me because while I was at Big Speak, I was our, uh, you know, head of our talent relations and people would be emailing me all day long. I get LinkedIn messages all day. People want to be on the website and we've, you know, largely had to just ignore most of the, you know, <laughs> incoming calls and emails from speakers that we we're getting because, there's only so much time in the day and there's only so many people that can be booked in that world or that are really going to generate enough demand or attention to make it worthwhile for us to even go through some of those steps. And let's be clear, you know, speaker spurs have really made their business off of people searching for speakers in any capacity and hoping that it will direct you to them. That is their business full stop. It's SEO. Obviously, it's word of mouth and referrals, and they hope that they keep the same clients coming back every year. And there's the service aspect, but new clients in the door, new leads, they really come from you or me saying, oh, Bob Smith, keynote speaker, that they went and and you know any of the bureaus that have Bob Smith on their site hope that you find him on their site first and that you'll go there and you'll work with their team and they'll act as the broker. So that's really the strategy. So it's not a bad thing for you know bureaus to be adding people to their website because they never know you know how that might help bring new customers their way. But there is a limit, and there's definitely you know a a recurring theme I heard from speakers who are on our website. They're like, I've been on your website for years and nothing's ever happened. And my, I'm kind of like, well, yeah, there's <laughs> there's no guarantees that you'll ever get booked. It's just uh, you know you're part of a long list of big menu of different people. You're not really treated like a priority, you're treated like a commodity. And, and that's just the fact. It's This is kind of how the business works. So what I would tell my bosses was, you know, when we think about our business from a design thinking point of view, what do we have? What asset do we have that we're not leveraging? We have all these speakers coming to us. We have all these people who want to do business with us in some capacity. Could we not sell them a $500 membership to be on our website or something, some sort of product or service or training or, you know, new business. And they weren't really that excited about reinventing a whole new revenue channel and, and something that wasn't really addressing the needs that they saw, like were most pressing. And Pete came along and he proposed something that I saw address the needs of all those people that I knew that those people would invest, you know, some amount of money to get on stages that would return, obviously, a higher level of, of revenue to them or just create opportunities that they were that they were looking for. So like any PR marketing firm, it made sense that this would be a service that would get people on these strategic stages, these opportunities to really speak to their ideal audience. And that's what we set out to do. And we launched with 30 beta clients at the beginning of 2020. And like you said, by mid-March, we had to really reconfigure our strategy and everything went virtual. So we just said, look, we're going 100% on virtual stages. We'll see what happens. None of us knew in March how long this would go on or what was going to happen. But we had a fair, you know, a fair idea that it would take some time. And so we said, look, we'll reevaluate in three months. But right now we're going to go get you on podcasts or get you on virtual stages. And that's going to be our focus. Well, that's been our focus <laughs> for most of the last you know, year and a half. 
though there has been in-person events and a lot of our clients, you know, have wanted to stay in in-person events and, oh, I'll, you know, I'm going to pause for now and I'll come back. And, you know, the, the people that I think are I'm totally shifting gears, but I think the people who have been, are going to be the most successful, even coming out of, you know, this pandemic state are the people who've never really stopped. Like they've, they've shifted to virtual. They've then continued to innovate to try to drive different ways to grow their audience. And they haven't let, you know, kind of this interruption stop them from getting out there and growing their business. The people who are waiting for in-person events to come back because sometimes they've got higher budgets to pay or that they feel like there's bigger audiences and there's more engagement. All of that may be true. And, and some of it may not be as, as true, but the most people that I've seen who've been really successful during this time are the ones who just really doubled down on virtual and made the most of, of those types of opportunities. So as you alluded to, is a very similar story for, for AYR. We had our big event scheduled for the end of April, 2020, beginning of May in Orlando. And um, by early April, I believe we, we, I mean, by end of March, we obviously had to make a decision and announce it and figure out what we were going to do uh, to address, you know, um, all of our customers and clients who'd paid tickets to come to this live in-person event. Uh, so we made the decision to shift to virtual. We offered everyone the opportunity to keep their ticket or to transfer it to the next event next year, if they're, you know, for that same event. And um, we launched a Rise Up World Challenge where we brought on all of these amazing speakers, all of these amazing, you know, inspirational people, not just in the realm of speaking, but across all these different domains of your life, from faith to finance and personal development. And we really made it about coming together and joining this, you know, for free. We we did sell recordings of it and all the profits went to charity. We donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to SCORE um, that helps small businesses and the Red Backpack Fund and some other charities. And we just completed our platform tour for this year. It's a similar, similar idea. Um, but it, it just ended up being a really effective way to grow our audience, to bring in a ton of new people to our world. And we ended up having 3,000 people at our virtual event when we were planning to have like 1,100 live and in person in Orlando. So our revenue, our attendance, everything tripled when we were expecting it to be much lower. And the agency where I had just come from the previous October laid off 40% of their staff. Hmm. So the business model of paid speaking in a pandemic doesn't hold up very well. Now the market has corrected and shifted and people have been paid lots of money to do virtual talks because that's the only way you can get a speaker to <laughs> to be there. But it, you know, initially people didn't want to pay and even even not even in normal times your virtual fee is always going to be less than your in-person fee. So obviously the revenue for bureaus went way down with virtual talks and there is a lot of damage done to that business that needed to then recalibrate and think about. And so I think for me, it was kind of like a, almost like the emperor's new clothes, looking at this industry and saying, look, you know, there's all these opportunities that you have to diversify, to adapt, to, you know, address a changing market and a growing market of speakers. Cause when I started out, there wasn't like YouTube was just getting started. And so, and people weren't really like digital video wasn't as, ubiquitous. And so to be a speaker, you know, like you had someone was sending, I was sending DVDs to people at my very first job. I'm not the oldest person in the industry, but old enough to have been around for some, some big shifts and leaps in technology. And now it's, everyone's got a platform. Everyone can get out there in front of an audience in some respects. So this growing market just hadn't been addressed or shifted. And, 
Now, I think we do have an opportunity to serve all entrepreneurs, business owners who want to leverage stages and speaking opportunities to grow their business. Um, whether you've never been on a podcast or set foot on a stage, obviously our workshops and our digital course is designed to help you get all those pieces in place. And the agency is specifically like, we take what you have, your talk, your assets, everything, and we pitch you on your behalf. We research the right stages. We reach out to them. And What's nice is then you've got an advocate. You don't have to be a known entity. You don't have to be a best-selling author or a celebrity. You have someone that comes from a company where people are trained and vetted and, you know, are really enthusiastic about being on stages and they have a, a purpose and a mission. And, you know, most importantly, it's going to impact their business. So we help people, you know, get in front of those right audiences and teach them how they can then convert them into customers. Now, it doesn't mean they sell from stage. The majority, the minority of the time, they'll sell something from the stage. Most of the time, they'll give something away, get people to opt into their marketing, get them into their world somehow. And there's a lot of creative ways to do that. Um, but to your very initial point, when we first introduced, what excited me so much is was like, wow, yeah, this really can serve literally everyone. We have elite clients like Bethany Hamilton from Soul Surfer, who's made millions of dollars from speaking, Lisa Nichols, Michael Hyatt, some of the biggest names in, in this world of personal development and, and speaking. But we also have people, like I mentioned, who had never even done a podcast and they're getting started and they're building that momentum and that exposure. And so we can really see our clients grow into those elite clients along the way. And, you know, there's the only thing that really distinguishes someone that's an elite client or not is if they have inbound demand for speaking. That's the only real, you know, kind of line that we draw and we manage that for them. And, you know, if you've got inbound demand, great. Our service just looks a little bit different than if we're having to create that demand and go out on your behalf, which someone needs to do. If you want to get that going, you need to start, you need to start somewhere. And it's, you know, it's a long-term strategy and consistently getting yourself out there and having opportunities that are going to continue to feed, hopefully your, your pipeline for a long time. Well, I appreciate, I mean, early on, you mentioned you, you didn't want to get back into a speaker's bureau and, and, <laughs> and, and, and just do the same thing over again and recognize that Pete was offering something different and, and he was willing to, to open his doors to, to people that have never spoke anywhere and yet offer some training and offer some support and offer um, a framework that, that makes them a speaker and, and creates an opportunity for them to find stages um, and, and to leverage those. And, and so I appreciate that, that model. Um, and, and of course I appreciate Michael Hyatt because I reached out to Michael Hyatt and of course my podcast isn't at a place yet, but instead of just saying no, he referred me to adventure reach and said, Hey, we can't get on your show, but they've got some folks that, that will get on your show. And so that was, that was terrific. And I appreciate that connection absolutely um, and, and just just um the meaningfulness of of somebody willing to to not just say no and and here's some other opportunity right um and so adventure reach you know that's how i i got into your world um no, was, i love that was, yeah it, it it meant a lot to me and so um adding your speakers into my show and creating opportunities for for folks that are looking for opportunity um, as my show's growing, it's like, okay, these are, these are guys that are looking, guys and gals looking for an opportunity. And so I can put that out there. And so appreciate you stepping in and, and others that, 
from advanced your reach have said oh yeah i'll jump in on the show and um it's kind of a way to to help each other grow and oh and that's, yeah that's pretty cool um yeah we're very collaborative you know i think another thing that kind of sets us apart from the agencies where i've worked before is you know, it was always territorial. It was like sales, you know, like this is my company. It's my lead. I'm the only one that books speakers with them because we're all, you know, incentivized by commission. So we didn't want to share any buyers with each other. In my agency, we've got 10 agents already and we um, are very, like, you know, collaborative in the sense of, oh, I found this stage. I booked one of my clients. Every agent only has 10 clients. So it's, it's a different model altogether, very service oriented. Um, I booked one of my clients and I'm recommending a couple others. Who else from our roster should we recommend? And all of the agents contribute. We call it go fish. They throw, Hey, you know, recommend these people, these people. And then we just share the wealth. So every day, if there's an inbound, whether it's, you know, for Michael Hyatt and he's available or his team's available or not, or one of our other speakers, that could become an opportunity for all of our clients. So we really try to, you know, create opportunities from all angles, all sides. And because we're different, we're not charging fees for all of our speakers. People can come to us and, and want to book Michael Hyatt because they have a budget for a headliner, but they might have five other speaking slots that they need to fill and no one else is going to help them find free speakers. So they're going to have to go find those people on their own or ask for referrals or, you know, go through the whole process each way. So people have started coming back to us again and again because they're like, this is great. Everyone you send me has been great and <laughs> I don't even have to look anywhere else. And so, you know, those are the relationships we're trying to create and grow with our meeting planners as part of our live event in November and something we've been doing for several years is we have a speak off competition. So we have a actual opportunity for people like American Idol. We have our top 10 speak off contestants speak on the second night of our event and we live stream it on our page and across all our platforms. And we've got judges who are event owners, meeting planners, people who are, you know, who book speakers or influence the booking of speakers, podcast hosts, all sorts of people um, who are, going to be judging our speak off. And that's a way that we can, you know, elevate all of our amazing meeting planner, you know, community, give them, you know, a cool platform to connect with one another, but also to give their feedback and insights into some up and coming speakers. And we love to just include them in what we're doing and to grow that community because we want to make sure that they, they know that we're a resource and that we're available. So, you know, we're going to have to make sure you're going to be judging um, on, on November 13th as well. So I'll make sure Katie, <laughs> connects with you if she hasn't already. Uh, she, and if you're a meeting planner, definitely, you know, reach out to us and, and we'll make sure that uh, you, we get you signed up and a free ticket for Platform Live. Nice. That's terrific. So what do you think some of the other advantages of virtual events have, have grown in the last year? Yeah. Well, I was just having this conversation with a client yesterday, you know, before, before COVID people wouldn't really pay for a virtual talk. That just wasn't really a thing. You know, if, if it, if I had someone that was interested in one of my clients and they weren't available, they weren't available. If they were booked on that date and they were going to speak at 10 AM in Dallas and someone wanted to speak at 2 PM in New York, probably not going to work out like time travel, all of that. And so once a speaker was booked on a date, that date was gone for the most part. Now, if there was a happened to be another opportunity in the very same city or in something close enough, but you know, it was rare. And obviously it causes more stress when we're trying to pack in 
people, <laughs> planes, trains, and automobiles to get back and forth to these engagements. So it was kind of like that model where once the date's gone, we would get requests for that same date again and again. For some reason, everyone just liked that date and that just, you know, three or four events might be happening on the same date and the speaker can only do one. Now, with everyone that, you know, had to adapt to virtual and bring in speakers virtually, if you can't get the speaker you want to be in person, you can pay probably a lower fee to have them virtually. If you want them, that might be how you have to have them. Otherwise, you won't, you won't get them again. But for the speaker, they might be speaking at 10 a.m. in Dallas. But then at noon, they can be in their hotel room doing another talk and they can do another one. They could do, I know speakers who've done five or six virtual talks in one day and probably more than that. That's probably not even the most, but it just makes it that much easier for now virtual events to become part of your portfolio for that opportunity, not to just go away because you're already booked somewhere else, but to get creative and say, Hey, we'll, we'll charge you, you know, a lower fee and this is how they will do it. And that's um, created a lot more opportunities. So I think just the world of a virtual events kind of almost getting, you know, a little bit more credibility and, and um, everything has created those types of opportunities. I think they are great for people who are looking to sell or get people to sign up for something. Because if you're sitting in the audience and there's great ways to do this, you can have a text message service, text me this at this number, and I'm going to send you a link and you're going to get my download or go to this link. But you know, if you're sitting in the audience of an event, you may or may not want to navigate to a link and figure out all that stuff. And oh, I'll, I'll look at it later. I'm going to take a picture and I'll remember and, you know, I'll, I'll get the slides. And you probably don't take action or maybe fewer people take action. Some of our clients and some of, uh, you know, our, our colleagues in this industry with their virtual events are selling three times more than they were in in person events. And it wasn't because the audience was three times like our event. It's just because people are right there. You're they're right in front of, they're on their computer already. They can click on the link. They can go to the sales page. They have their credit card sitting next to them. They can take action. And so virtual events have been amazing for some speakers that are just driving straight to their, you know, digital course or their whatever it may be. Um, and I think in that case, it's 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 been a boon uh, for a lot of people that want people to take faster action because you're already right there. You're already ready to go. Um, I think the other big aspect is just how much it's allowed in the area of accessibility. So, so many people, if they have a disability or financial constraint or anything that might've kept them from attending a live event, they had the opportunity to be part of these events that they probably always wanted to experience or be part of a community that they hadn't had the opportunity to do because they you know, weren't able to attend live. So I've been very proud of how that has shifted and changed for um, you know, the, everyone that can now um, participate in a different way. And I think just overall, it just has created a new, a lot more opportunities for companies to think differently about how they do their meetings for organizations to be shifting, you know, priorities and everything else. And I think overall for speakers, though, it has just created a lot more new revenue channels and ways that they can engage with the audience. They can use the technology and the polling. They can get, you know, if as a speaker, if you're booked for a digital, for a virtual event, you can engage in their social media. You can be part of like the whole digital marketing campaign to get people there. And you don't ever have to set foot out of your house. So there's been a lot of benefits. And I know people miss the connection aspect and people love travel. I love travel and getting to be together in person is, is there's no replacement for that. But there's a lot of great alternatives and there's been a lot of great things that have been created, I think, by necessity 
uh, with virtual events. Absolutely. So I, I picked up one of the big things that Adventure Reach is, is allowing you to do is develop speakers and actually they don't have to have an audience. I mean, assume most speaker brewers, you know, if, if you don't already have an audience or a reason for an audience to want to listen to you, we're not going to put you on our page. Um, but Adventure Reach is willing to say, not only will we put you on our page, but we're going to, we're going to train you and prepare you and help you develop your story. Um, and I think that's, there, there's a lot of value in, in helping people, you know, find their story and, and find the reason to to share it or the audience to share it too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like let's let's not let's not be confused. I mean, the the speakers bureau uh, speakers bureaus have their model. It's commission based, so they only make money if the the clients make money. So they don't they have no reason to train and support other speakers. Like they're it's not part of their model. Our model is service based. So our workshops and courses and services things that we sell and provide, uh, you know, to our clients, but absolutely it's a different approach and and the message is different the message is not let us train you how to become a speaker so you can go out and get paid and get keynote fees and get a bureau to pay attention to you and then your life is going to be easy because the bureau is just going to keep booking you forever um that's not our message our message is like we're going to help you grow your business and we know stages are the most the fastest and most powerful way to do that and if you're just looking for keynote fees you're going to leave money on the table what blew my mind the most when I met Pete was thinking about my clients and how much money, well, because it, it would blow my mind how much money they were already making, because of course they're taking 70 to 80% of the speaker's fees as they should. Um, but how much money they could have been making if they even sold something for a dollar at the events that they went to, you know, at all these places where they spoke. And it just like made me cringe to think about like, how I could have really approached this differently with this one client. I launched her, we went all over the world together and she didn't have anything to sell, anything on the back end, any reason to get people to opt in and how much more powerful that could have been. And that's really what, you know, Pete opened up my eyes to is these people who are road warriors. They're on the road 30, 40, 50. So I, had a, I had a speaker who did more than like 130 events in one year, wow. if, if not. And we, we tried to do the math, there's only, so many weekdays and some events are on weekends and then there's holidays. We try to do the math of like how many dates could a speaker realistically book? And I think we said 200 would probably be the max limit. But now with virtual, that number is limitless and people can be everywhere. But the road warrior mentality, you know, for most people with families and other things going on, that, that gets old, like, and it gets difficult and it's not good for you overall, you know? So Pete's mentality is more like, we want to get you to a place where you don't need to go to a hundred events. You just go to the 10 right events and you make more money than even from those hundred events. So when you think about like the economies of scale that come from building this type of, uh, you know, way to market yourself and what can come of it and how that translates to the difference between, you know, keynote fees and everything else, it's, it's really phenomenal. Like the, the exponential more revenue you can drive if you're thinking about stages that way, as opposed to, just trying to work your way up the the ladder and get 5,000 in speech, then 10,000 and 15 and, and, and hopefully, you know, get higher than that. But honestly, there's a ceiling. If you're not a celebrity or a best-selling author, there's always going to be a ceiling for that too. So um, I think, you know, we just want to give people an alternative and show them that they can be, you know, doing more and it'll impact their business, you know, in a, in a much more impactful way.
<laughs> well, there's certainly the revenue is is far beyond just the keynote fee. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the big thing to get through people's minds. Like a lot of people see speaking as a means to an end. Like I want to get paid to speak and then that's where I'm going to get a lot of my, you know, my income or my extra income from. And we're saying, great, you know, if you can get a keynote fee, but you should barter that to get better terms from the event. Ask them to send out an email on your behalf. Ask them if you can do, you're, you're going to speak for a breakout session. Ask them if they do like a dedicated webinar for all of their clients. Like there's a lot of things that you could exchange that speaker fee even for, for these other kind of marketing elements or other kind of things that you may negotiate with that stage or that event that could add up to a lot more. So we're not saying it's bad to have a speaking fee or you shouldn't think about that because Pete has a speaking fee. But again, we use that as, as a bartering tool, as, a lever as leverage to get more that we want rather than just more cash, more opportunities to you know, impact their communities and, and turn them into customers for us too. That's great. Yeah. So what, what inspires Blair? <laughs> what inspires Blair? Well, as I mentioned, you know, earlier, I've always been, you know, someone that's a champion for diversity. I've seen kind of in many industries where we need to do better and where there's voices that are lacking and where we could be lifting other types of people up. And that's something that still really excites me. It's something I do in my management work and I'm trying to introduce more into our agency as well. But because we, you know, we're very open, we take all clients, we're not, we're not choosing and picking and choosing like who's the right fit if you have the right assets and you know we feel like your business is in the right place to support what we're doing then you know we want to work with you so we don't make choices around just having the most diverse clientele but we are intentional about making sure we're speaking to diverse communities making sure they understand what we what we can do and how we can help and what we offer so that it's not uh you know completely homogeneous in in our world as well so that that's excites me about all these new opportunities that are happening, seeing young people that are incredibly successful and powerful speakers at such a young age and seeing the people who've been doing this for a long time, but yet continue to adapt, continue to pivot and change. I saw some speakers who, like I mentioned, completely just said, I'm not doing virtual events and I'll just sit it out and I'll wait for in-person. I saw others that really got after it and built in-home studios and did a lot of amazing, you know, things to their presentations to really get up to speed with what the market was demanding of them. And I think that's awesome too, you know, because our industry, you know, I like to joke and Pete will say, others will say, you know, speakers have been around for thousands of years. It's kind of how this whole civilization got started with oral history and, and things like that. But the industry has changed and there's definitely been things that have changed in over the course of my career and things will continue to change in the future. But I think it's just, on all of us, when you're in the space of sharing knowledge and thought leadership, it's on all of us to be staying ahead, staying relevant and getting ahead of what's coming next, because that's also what people come to us for. You know, they want to know subject matter expertise, but they also really want to know what they don't know. And that's what a lot of our speakers are able to provide. And, and that's also really cool and inspiring to me too, is the people we work with that are kind of billed as futurists or people that have like really painted a picture for what the future could or should or would look like. And um, it's kind of cool and sometimes scary. <laughs> yeah. Future conversations with futurists can be very interesting. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, and I know you, you, you value social enterprise as well. 
right? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, some of the people that I enjoy working with too are the people who've made their business a mission is to also impact and create change in the world. So um, a lot of the people that I work with are very, you know, focused on philanthropy and giving back in addition to what they share with corporate clients and, and other people, and they've got to pay the bills. But um, I definitely like AYR has a has a mission and a purpose. I, I like aligning myself with with clients and companies that that have an underlying, you know, drive for uh, making the world a better place. So good. So change gears just a little. What what do you love to do in your free time? Oh, what free time? <laughs> no, you know, after a year and a half home and, and pandemic, I mean, I'm sure we've all done enough streaming of TV and movies and that still occupies some of my downtime. But I made a concerted effort as a, you know, I was a lit major. I made a concerted effort to get more into reading. I also enjoy writing, um, exercise. I live in Los Angeles, so it's kind of a mandate to, to be exercising every day, getting outside. I've got an eight month old German Shepherd mix puppy. So I'm taking her for walks and playing in the park and all of that stuff and just hanging out with friends. And I'm also a bit, um, you know, an avid cook. So I do a lot of my, of the cooking here and, um, and enjoy kind of creating new things out of ingredients I hadn't used before and stuff like that. Nice. Nice. So what have mentors, obviously Pete is a, is a big mentor now, but what have mentors meant on your journey? Oh, I love this question. Um, well, I have uh, a woman that I call a mentor who, when I first moved to LA and worked for Keith Ferrazzi, she was our president and she was the former head of Gallup Consulting. And she taught me everything I know about talent management, human engagement around like when on the, the kind of in the HR world. So not in the, I, I'm a talent manager, I am. But when I was getting my MBA, I was also thinking, maybe I do want to go into corporate HR because she had taught me so much around employee engagement and management and how you navigate these things and what what creates good things within companies and culture and all of that. And that stuff I remain very you know passionate about. I'm on the leadership team at AYR and um, on our diversity, equity, inclusion committee, and you know definitely very driven to making our company. One of our goals is to make it one of the best places to work, to be recognized as one of the best places to work. And so I've you know, do my best to try to drive that initiative forward with best practices and things that I've learned and how we can make adjustments and tweaks to our policies and communication, really, um, to make our employees feel uh, that they were that they're valued and making sure that they align with our mission, vision, values as well. Um, super important. So my mentor really gave me a lot of great coaching and training around uh, those things. And I think have have helped enable me to be a much stronger leader and manager uh, moving forward. So it's been, um, I mean, she's been life, <laughs> life-saving in many contexts, but uh, in general, I think it takes a mentor to unlock uh, a passion sometimes or help you see really what your talents are. It's really hard for a lot of us to be self-reflective enough to recognize our strengths and I think a good mentor, like a good coach, brings out the best in you, allows you to see those strengths, help you soften some of the rough edges, and gives you some more knowledge and expertise so you can be consciously competent and not just talented and unconsciously competent <laughs> at something. Nice. That's a really great way to put it. Appreciate that. <laughs> sure. <clears throat> so obviously, you've, you've got a big dream I mean, for yourself and maybe, you know, for your mission at, at AYR, but uh, would you share what, what's your big dream? 
Yeah, my big dream is just to, you know, add even more to what we are all producing in the creative media space. So what does that look like? I mean, I I definitely plan on, on publishing books. Um, I would love to work. I moved out to LA because I wanted to work with clients who are also involved in TV and film and other mediums. And a lot of my clients have different things and projects in the work. Uh, I just know the impact that entertainment and media had on my own life. I know that the impact it has on people around the world who don't live in societies like ours and what that's what that's meant to them to have access to American culture for better or worse, <laughs> hopefully, usually for better. And, you know, I'd love to just be more part of that, be, you know, one of the people helping produce and create um, content that helps continue to also improve and change the world. So that's always what I've been really passionate about telling, telling diverse stories helping other people like that, like get the, build their platform and get the kind of recognition that I feel like they deserve and just continuing to grow myself and figure out what comes next. I didn't know that I'd be working and running an agency where people are paying tens of thousands of dollars a year for us to get them on virtual stages, but here I am. And you know, who knows what the next few years will hold as well. <laughs> nice. All right. Obviously, you know, a lot about connection and, and making connections and, for entrepreneurs that that are building their business, trying to grow grow their voice, what what would you recommend? What would you say to to them to build connections? Absolutely. So, you know, I I, I fully recommend Keith's book. His his most popular and well known book is called Never Read Alone, and it's a it's a guide to creating relationships. And it's all and it gives you even a framework. Some people they they need a framework. We've got a framework for our our signature talk, and we have a framework for building. You have a framework for building relationships. And I think the simple the simple framework is generosity leads to candor, which leads to intimacy, which leads to accountability. Mm. So I think when we were looking to establish relationships, leading with generosity. And not just, hey, can I invite you to this so then I can ask you for this? You know, if you listen to Gary Vee, it's punch, 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 jab or whatever, you know, <laughs> like his boxing analogy is like you want to give more and lead to, you know, building that intimacy and candor. And then, you know, that creates a really strong relationship of accountability. I think in general, as an entrepreneur, always looking within your network, your community, your friends, your family for those first stages that you're going to get on, speak at your, your kid's school, your school, your speak at your church, speak at your community organization, leverage your friends, even the celebrities and authors and people I've worked with that have, you know, they're famous or they're whatever, when they got started, their first speaking engagements were from people that knew them that, you know, took the risk on bringing them in, you know, so to speak. And I think people forget that we call them champions, like who are your champions? And it doesn't mean that person is going to book you for a stage, but you could even ask your champions, like, what podcast do you listen to? What stage, what events are a not missed for you? You know, you want to do almost some of that, you know, kind of consumer research on your target audience and leverage the people that know you the best to help get you some of those early wins, to get you some video footage and just get you some experience in, in the speaking side. If you're an entrepreneur, just looking to grow your connections, just, just trying to figure out how to develop your, your network and relationships. Again, I suggest Keith's book. And he also you know did like a smaller guide that I think you can find on the internet. And I think it was published in like Forbes or something called Conference Commando. Mm -hmm. I was just at a conference yesterday, one of the first and only in-person conferences I've attended this year. And, um, was thinking about this and talking about this with some colleagues around the the idea of having an intentional strategy when you attend a conference. So mm -hmm. I know most entrepreneurs are not going to be 
the one on stage speaking, if you're, especially if you're getting started. Most of the people are not the speakers at an event. That's a very small group of them. But you as an attendee have a lot of, there's a lot of power in knowing who's going to be at an event, speaking, sponsoring, attending, and who is going to help impact your business or whatever the goal that you may have set. And you can create a plan to meet them, you know, not, not quarter them, but meet them, introduce yourself, hopefully be able to start a conversation. You know, Keith would plan like his own side dinners and invite, you know, a select group that he really wanted to get to know better. Pete has done that, you know, a trafficking conversion. That's what's led to a lot of um, partner growth and, you know, a big partner event we had this year at that event. So I would just say like, as these events are coming back in person, but also even virtual events, do your homework if you're going to attend something like that. If you think that this is going to be a rich place to find customers or clients or mentors or whatever it is that might be the relationships you're looking for, um, just don't go to a conference blind and hope that you bump into someone that's going to make an impact. Be intentional as you can around creating that plan, thinking through what your strategy is, and then go and execute and make the most of that investment of your time and sometimes you know money uh, to be part of that event. Oh, that's terrific stuff. Yeah. Love to get there early and sit in a little corner right before everybody walks by and, and you never know who you'll see walking by, including the speakers and, you know, before everyone else is in the room. So there's lots of opportunity if you yeah. are intentional and choose to choose to plan. Um, right. And, and like, you know, think about school. It's if you, if you really want to connect with a speaker, sit up front, ask a question, be engaged. Don't like, you know, hound them, but you know, they're going to remember that you were in front or you asked a question. Like that's a really easy way to get yourself noticed. And yeah, there's always going to be that time afterwards as they're walking back or walking somewhere that hopefully you have a chance to to speak further with them. But yeah, just do something to get their attention without being a distraction or a detraction. <laughs> my wife and I were walking in front of John Maxwell together and I pulled my camera out to take the selfie of her and I with him in the background and he jumped into the picture and uh, <laughs> stood, he, stood right between us. So that's it great. Was, uh, yeah, I can was, see him doing that for sure. Oh, I mean, he's a fun guy. <laughs> absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, he just, you know, took advantage of the moment. Right. <laughs> so mm -hmm. It's uh, but it, it is, I mean, I think everything in entrepreneurship is the more intentional you can be about your plan and about take, you know, getting the most out of, out of your day, getting the most out of an event. Um, and I think even getting the most out of out of a podcast or out of um, and being intentional in that. And I, I love Keith's book. And so <laughs> love that you're plugging it and and uh, it's sitting on the shelf right in front of me. So <laughs> <laughs> time um, to go reread. <laughs> absolutely. No, I, I'm going to pull it off the shelf as soon as we're done here, because it's uh, it's been a little bit since I read it and appreciate you sharing about the conference commando. That sounds like something worth checking out, too. So, yeah, absolutely. So I end all my uh, episodes with just the opportunity for you to share your words of wisdom <laughs> for an sure. entrepreneur, for someone coming up. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I hope what I shared was valuable. You ooh. know, I, what I want to, you know, share with your audience in general is that, you know, we really believe that your message matters. A lot of times you don't have an opportunity to share that message, even with the people that are closest with you uh, for whatever reason. And we try to provide an opportunity, you know, at our event as part of the speak off and in general through all of the things that we do in our Facebook community, through our challenges and all of that 
to encourage you to get your message out there, to help, you know, get the help that, you know, will make you either feel confident in what you have to say, the clarity on really what your, your purpose and what your business, you know, would be, because a lot of times you have a purpose or a message and it doesn't mean it's a business. Uh, so we can help you figure out how that turns into a business or what needs to change in order to do that. But I would just encourage you all to, to give it a shot. As I mentioned, start with your friends and family, start with your network, the people that you know, love and trust you, ask them for opportunities to get out there and, and share your story and, and see what comes of it. I, I mean, I think it's every time we're nervous or scared to post something or the times when I felt like I'm being vulnerable and it's scary or it's the times when I've gotten the, the biggest and the best response from people, the most supportive response, you know, our society really values authenticity right now. And it's hard in a virtual world to always portray that in the way that we may want to, but it used to be all about energy. I used to say speakers are like Tony Robbins and like, it's like, that's the model of speaking that we have is this energy pump you up and no one's like him. He's amazing, you know, but you don't have to be that person. You don't have to be this super polished, energetic rock star on stage. You just have to be authentic. You have to tell your story and that's, what's going to connect with audiences. They don't, you know, th it's like a sugar high when you get a big rush and everything. And then that, that goes away. But the speakers that make an impact are the ones that, you know, they follow our, they, 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 whether they worked with us or not, they follow a similar framework and they connect with you emotionally. So what I will also share is like, be willing to be vulnerable, you know, share your message and be willing to be vulnerable because that's what makes connection. That's what allows people to want to connect with you and to see that alignment. And especially if you're a leader, you're in a position of authority, you've done something incredible. It, it can feel really hard for an audience to connect with you and your accomplishments. But when you bring it down to the human level, when you share about yourself as a, as a human and the things that you're struggling with or whatever it may be, that's what I think creates that real connection. And that's really what we try to coach in our clients too. So just some things for you guys to chew on. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you at Platform Live and you can go to joinplatformlive.com uh, for tickets and information about that. And hopefully we'll be seeing some of you in our finals in the speak off on November 13th. Man, fantastic. Blair, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a great conversation and I think you shared a ton of, of valuable wisdom. Well, if you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe. We have a free gift for you at addvalue2entrepreneurs.com. We've created a collection of the top tips that have been shared on our show for entrepreneurs. Do you struggle with procrastination, putting off the work until the last minute? Well, you are not alone. Many of our clients start there. We are launching a new five-day challenge to help you take more action and make more money in your business. Each day is a 10-minute video lesson and a worksheet. If you take 15 to 30 minutes to do the worksheet, it will change your life and business and exponentially increase the amount of work you get done each day. Right now, it is only $27 and contains five of our best tools for helping you move forward. It can be found at addvalue2life.com slash action. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day.